ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. It's Friday, and welcome to another episode of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Um, I am fortunate today to be joined by uh, some friends, some colleagues from thebirdrights.com and from the podcast The Bird Calls as well. So, uh, welcome to the pod. Um, Ollie, I think this is your third visit, and Kevin, this is your second. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ollie Cosell and Kevin Barrios. Good afternoon, guys. What's up, David? We're sitting in the same room, guys, just to let you know. We are finally doing something in person. Usually, David just does the Zoom, right? And we connect over the internet. But tonight, today, we had some lunch. So this has been fun. Today, we had some lunch. <laughs> like, Ollie gives the greatest summary of the afternoon. Also, Ollie, I know I left out the pertinent details, right? trying to poison. Yes. Giving him food that he's allergic Yes. I did not know. You knew I was allergic to beans. No. You've known this. From where? From all the times you've been in the... Um, because the beans are served all the time at Pell's Media, right? Every once in a while they serve red beans and rice. They serve white beans. They do. Actually, you and I always ate salad this past year. We're trying to be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I stay away from the that's beans, man. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll let this slide. All right. I'll let it slide. Um, but I owe you lunch. Yes. Yes. So you, you were supposed to be buying me lunch and you didn't. So it's just poison. Um, well, first announcement today from the New Orleans Saints slash New Orleans Pelicans uh, that Gail Benson, owner of those two teams, has uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, however you want to view it. And uh, by reports from the franchise, she's doing well. She's still participating in business meetings uh, and uh, they expect her to recover just fine. Uh, guys, do you want to send your well wishes to Miss Benson at this time? Of course. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. She's 73. I mean, she, she's in that high risk area. So it's good news that they don't foresee anything. And, and the fact that they did leave, I know some people are laughing at this, but the fact she hasn't missed a day of work calls, I think they're, they're trying to show us that, honestly, she's doing better than what maybe some people might imagine. So that's great news. Yeah, um, you know, this is such a difficult year for everybody and it's more important than ever I think for owners to be engaged and you don't want to have any type of vacuum in leadership up at the top of these organizations at this time so uh, I hope she recovers quickly and that she can continue to resume her duties as owner um, as far as resuming the NBA playoffs resume tomorrow uh, in order to do that, after this basically 72, it'll be a 72-hour suspension uh, slash boycott of the playoffs, uh, there are some new initiatives that the league has announced as part of a compromise. There is a social justice coalition of players, coaches, and governors that's been formed, that's going to be formed. They want to focus on voting access, civic engagement, police, and criminal justice reform. And team owners have committed to work to have their arenas used as polling stations to ensure access for uh, communities who may be more affected by the lack of polling stations uh, during this pandemic. Guys, I'm gonna ask you this question from your perspective, both as uh, basketball observers and just as 
members of society, do you think that this hiatus ends up being worth it for the players, for the NBA, and for the country? Yeah, I mean, I was very excited to see them make a stand. You know, at first I was a little disappointed that it seemed like it was going to be so short-lived, but it was short-lived because they actually had some actionable changes uh, come their way right away, which was great to see. They put, you know, they used their leverage, their pressure, their voices. I think we've talked about it a lot um, when I know we all had concerns about the the um, the league starting back up because of health stuff, but also because of the attention it was going to take away from what was happening in the streets. And, um, you know, at first it became sort of seemed like that pageantry just sort of like went to the background. You could easily not see the Black Lives Matter on the court, the names on the back. It just became like wallpaper in a sense. So to have something real happen, unfortunately, it's because someone else was murdered. But to see something real happen and possibly have some real changes that are going to affect this country for a long time come into effect because of the stand that these guys made, you know, it's very important. It was very rewarding to see. Ali, um, let me get your thought on it this way. That had been the question all along was, could you get tangible, real action from the owners, not dollars? And again, we talked about this $300 million commitment, which is essentially $1 million per team over 10 years, which... It's a drop in a bucket for them, right? Yeah. Saw a tweet out there, right? It's the same as for a regular person, was it? 175 175 bucks a year. Yeah, so it's... The money was never going to be the thing that solved or helped solve any of these issues. You needed firm policy commitments. And it looks like that's what the players are moving the league towards. Um, The onus is going to be on owners going forward in trying to show whether they have made an actual commitment. And I know I, you know, yesterday made a tweet directed at the Pelicans organization and saying, okay, specify your commitment. This is a big step in trying to do that. Absolutely. And you're not the only one, David. Look at what other players have done. I I know LeBron James, even, you know, he has talked about how the owners have to step forward. And there are some owners that have really come out, you know, right to the forefront as soon as this happened, about 72 hours ago now. And so it was good to see the Milwaukee Bucks, right? We saw what the team did and they took a stance and they had just planned on boycotting and forfeiting the game, but how it snowballed into what, where we are now. But Right at the time, the team's ownership of the Bucks went forward and supported their players quickly and immediately. So that that kind of gives you hope that they are going to go ahead and proceed and go with all these initiatives that we're all talking about, you know, whether just amongst ourselves, whether the players are talking about. But you want to see the real change happen to the three areas that they're really talking about, right? Promoting the voting access. That's number one, the biggest. So it's been great to hear that. Those teams that can and they have ownership of their arenas are going to turn them into voting booths. That's outstanding. Because the biggest thing, as everybody knows, the biggest thing that each individual in this country can do is vote. You know, and then of course combating social injustice and advocating, you know, for police reform. So that is gonna come in time. Remember, this is all happening in 72 hours. So I'm kind of shocked 
to where we've come from just then, right? Because even LeBron James was saying, what's the plan, right? When he had stormed out of that meeting and people thought, wow, maybe the Lakers are done. Maybe the playoffs is done, you know? Where's, where's this headed? So to go from that point to where they are now, to where, of course, the playoffs are going to resume, the players are going to keep using this great platform they have. And it sounds like there's going to be real change on top of what was already kind of planned. But it seems like now there's an additional... Um, I don't know whether it's a plan or what, but it seems like, you know, it's on better footing than before this whole Orlando restart happened. So all in all, it's a good sign to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just like to say a little bit more about the voting thing, too. It's like when you're looking at the current administration and how they're outwardly outspokenly trying to suppress the vote. You know, this is something that is very important, something that's very accessible, especially like if we get in our arena here, it's in the heart of the city. It's easy to get to. Um, you know, and it's going to be safe because there's enough space in there to space everybody out and, you know, uh, vote that way. You should be up, not see these long lines that you see in these areas where the vote was suppressed and they shut down polling places. So it is a very important step. I mean, even as, you know, honestly, I'm not very happy with the Democratic ticket and I'm very liberal, which, you know, if you follow me, you know this. It still is very important to vote this man out of office because of what we've seen repeatedly from this administration and from the people that he surrounds himself with and the messages that he puts out and the violence that he encourages uh you know like the first nights of the of the protest in minnesota you know when he the his comments there just sent everything you know to, it, it, he just escalated everything with the way he acts so we need to get him out of air just for that um that reason and you know he clearly is trying to suppress that that vote because he knows that he's on his way out so it's very good to see this as a um, viable option now and and i hope part of this too when they talk about educating because they said they want to do education efforts on voting in these areas um what i would like to see uh, is is making sure that they inform people about local elections as well because we get a lot of down the ballot fatigue from people and they don't understand how important it is the judge you vote for the the the, the constable all those things who imp- impact that policy your tax assessors all those things um, you know people need to re- to remember that it's not just about the presidency. These local elections are things that impact you immediately. And um, I, I really want to see uh, these teams. Look, I mean, it, it, they back candidates. We know this. We, we can see the, their records of the candidates that they have donated to. So it's not like they're apolitical institutions. But this is going to be the test to me is where these owners put their money. Who do they put it behind? What policies do they put it behind? And, and it's, it can't just be initiatives to get people to vote. You have to be on the side of something. The other thing, too, is like you were talking about with local elections, which is very important, is if you're a person who's very um, dissatisfied with the current two party system, the easiest way to start building third party legitimacy is in local elections where it's like a smaller scale and you get people more comfortable with these other parties that are out there that can then grow and, you know, eventually become to a level where they're, you know, you're competing with the Democrat Party or the Republican Party because, like, those two parties have been divisive to a lot of people, even the people within those. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't vote for another, you know, say, like, I'm not I'm not happy with the Biden selection, but I have to vote for him because there's no other alternate to get. 
And our vote doesn't count anyway. Right. Yeah. And that's the shitty thing is living in this state. Your vote doesn't count for president. You know, that's the yeah. way, you know, a lot of people are disenfranchised with politics as the way they are. But this is a way to encourage new parties and to build them up through local elections. Yeah. David, I just want to, yeah, I just want to quickly add, because you were talking about how we kind of know the general uh, tendencies of just sports franchise themselves by based on their voting records or where the money goes, especially. And so this is for all the people that are still out there, which troubles me, are the ones that want to keep things separate. They want to keep the politics from the social, from the sports separate. You don't live in this world anymore, guys. Listen to anybody on this topic. Ernie Johnson, I think, is one of the most beloved figures in all sports, especially on the announcing side, analytical side, host side. He went on CNN, and I thought just laying it out the way he did was beautiful. If you're still saying, and I'll quote him, if you're saying social issues in sports, keep them separate. Look, those days are long gone. Sports and society are intertwined like never before. This is real life. And he's absolutely right because you just alluded to it. These owners, these wealthy owners, they control a lot more than just a single cast of a ballot. So this stuff does matter, guys. Yeah, you're talking about I mean, Betsy DeVos is in the the administration. You know, you got people that do deals with Jared Kushner. You got, you know, these guys are with the policy. owner of the Atlanta Dream, right? Yeah. So who should be? I mean, that, that isn't that the biggest question right now? Should, can an owner? I mean, that's what some people are talking about. Can an owner that believes in one thing? have basically a team of players that sit on the opposite end of a spectrum. Like, how's it look? Because, like, for instance, Atlanta Dream, they're going through that right now in the WNBA. There's some NBA teams that undoubtedly are underneath, you know, behind the scenes. Think about it. I mean, I, and I've asked this question to some legal, you know, analysts, and it's it's a weird thing to be in because the the teams are franchises of the NBA. So if I'm a player and I inherently feel that I work in a hostile work environment because my owner has these ideological differences that are so, as far as I believe as a person, not political. They're about more than politics. And so if I'm a player and I'm in that situation, what do you do? Is there a legal recourse if I went to the league and said, I'm not comfortable putting money in the pockets of this individual? Those players were asked to look the other way. Or they... We're not going to hear your voice. You're not allowed to have a voice. Right. Because, I mean, it, it, it isn't enough to take the check. Guys took the check from Donald Sterling for years, and they knew. I mean, that's the whole thing is when we've seen the 30 for 30s, we've seen the documentaries, whatever. They all, everybody knew who Donald Sterling was, but just taking the check didn't empower anybody. It didn't give them the, ex, the, the, uh, the agency to be able to get rid of him. What you needed was a public embarrassment. And if that's the bar that you can only get rid of owners due to that. Because we keep saying being a player in the NBA or being a professional athlete of any kind is a privilege, which is, to me, it continues to be a bullshit thing because I don't know how you work your entire fucking life for a privilege. You know what I'm saying? Like, you busted your ass from the age of 10 or whatever, and you went to the gym every day, you went to practice, you're one of 300 people in the world who are qualified for your job. So, so you're why? telling me that that's a privilege? No, I earned that shit. Ownership is a privilege because you just got to have a fucking checkbook. So to me, like that conversation in and of itself is saying to owners, it should be more of a privilege to be an owner. Your representation of the league should matter too. And if your, your political or personal 
allegiances do not align with the values of the league, then I think that there should be. This is not, and it's not canceling people. It's not suppression of freedom of speech. It's saying this is what we stand for, and I can't have you here. Your your money in particular is not welcome here. And leagues make those choices all the time. The NFL didn't take on Rush Limbaugh as an owner for a reason. They didn't take on Donald Trump as an owner for a reason. The Major League Baseball didn't take on Mark Cuban for a reason you know what i'm saying so leagues have the ability to discern about owners i think that they absolutely should should uh, do that so um i think this is a great first step i would like to see the nfl owners and the players put pressure on nfl players because we see them speaking up major league baseball nhl we saw this the first wave where everybody said we're in again let's see what the action is that that that's the test are we actually going to see real continued follow-up? And the kids I worry about the most, actually, is I would love for these professional athletes to, to really go talk to the collegiate athletes and reach out to them and talk to them more about their power in all of this because nobody is getting more exploited than college and high school players right now. I, I don't understand how and, – and, and, yeah, we're getting a little sidetracked on basketball, but fuck it, I don't care. But I don't understand how you can have – projections where half the kids in who play this fall will contract corona those are the projections that you have double digit deaths and half of all players are projected to catch coronavirus for free for, for taking all the risk for the university and I, I just i don't understand that i, I think that that's just inherently it's criminal it's criminal. You are subjecting people to dangerous conditions for, for, for nothing. Just look at simple labor laws, David. How do they treat the average common worker? I mean, Bomani Jones had a great article in Vanity Fair yesterday, and I don't know if you guys read it. But in it, he talked about, you know, attorneys who were very conservative looking at the NBA's, NCAA's guidelines and saying, there's no section on rights for players. All the stuff that they have. Now, one section all right for players. That's not by an accident. <laughs> That's just not by accident. Um, no, but to your point, David, when you're talking about when are we going to see some change? Are we seeing some now? I truly don't think we're going to know, honestly, until Election Day, right? It's going to be with the turnout. We're going to see the results. I mean, until then, it's all kind of speculation. I, I don't know. You do need those firm commitments, though. Because I don't want, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to go into the election without those commitments. Because it's easy if, if this regime, <laughs> if this banana republic is allowed to continue for four more years, you could easily see the owners backing out if there were no firm commitments. And say, we ain't got to do this shit. And you need clear, actionable things that can happen no matter what's who's in charge and what's in charge you know true yeah they have to get guarantees they have to get it in writing it can't be just an idea it can't be an agreement there needs to be a timetable there needs to be you know real like i said actionable items that you can check off on a list and say okay you've reached these things that we mutually agreed upon and the act and it has to be the owners have to take a hit they have to i mean that's you can't change society without taking a hit. Somebody's got to take a hit. I mean, and another thing too, which we didn't talk about, is like a, 
I think a direct reaction to the player's stance the other day was that we finally got the name of the cop, you know, that, that shot Robert Blake in the back, you know, that we they held that secret for so long. And then it was no, it was no surprise to me that after the Bucks were able to talk to the attorney general on the phone minutes later, his name's out there. So, you know, the, they're there are actionable things and that's good and you need to have those things set in stone to roll forward. Yeah, their atten- the attention is still important and I think that was such a big concern for the players that the that the message didn't get muted and they had to reamplify it and I think that this did do it and I'm like you, I, I wish it had gone on longer. I-, I wish they had asked for more but I also understand their sentiment of, look, we gotta get done with this so we can go home. Yeah, and also, I mean, at the end of the day, by prolonging it or canceling it they're also risking the cba being torn up and all their lives up and yeah how much money would they lose if they were to quit today i heard something like a billion dollars floated right that would that's more on the nba than the players yeah i mean the main thing with the players is that but i'm talking about that's that's what i'm saying exactly and then then you know then they have the coronavirus no fans in stadium Mm -hmm. all these things to start undercutting but do you believe any of this stuff is going to prevent them from when the CBA negotiations using this against the players anyway and saying, oh, revenues are down. Oh, this happened. They're not going to, I don't think, vacillate as much as in other sports. We've seen, in the NBA, what has been usually the ratio income right between owners and players? It's been roughly 46 to 54 at worst. Usually it's right around fifty percent. Yeah, I'm saying, but it's closer usually to fifty percent in like the last twenty years or whatever, right? But I think the owners are trying to bring it back all the way to fifty. That's what's going to be interesting, yeah. And and I think the problem with that too is that if you're the players at this time, are you going to ask for fully open books? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because that's always been the question: is how much real revenue are these teams generating? Because you've never seen the complete accounting of books from any of these franchises. So to me, if if, those, if you're leaving out significant portions of revenue from these teams, you're cheating the players. And if you're the players and you're asking for this now, and you're about to do the most significant probably labor, organ, labor negotiation on the history, in the history of the players coming up, because of all these other things that are going on. But that's why you don't want to see these it's going to get ripped up. I mean, when it opens up, they're going to do the same things. That's the thing. Is like, I don't see their strategy. What I'm saying is you want to get to the different. world where they're going to get to the negotiating table once the pandemic has been solved. I feel like that's very important. If they do it before the vaccine comes out, that's where I think you're going to hit a hell of a lot of roadblocks. Well, I'm just, my thing is just that the owner strategy doesn't change. That, that's my thing. It's like, it doesn't matter how they do it when they get to the portion of collective bargaining. They're going to be. Ju- they're going to try to, sc- to screw the nails. That, uh, I mean, the, the tighten the screws as much as they can. Oh yeah, I mean definitely. But they have more leverage if it gets torn up at the end of this season than when it's absolutely set. To, you know. And I, I do still think that it's it's. This is going to push a lot of different conversations about what players really want to do long term, because if you can't get significant changes in the structure of the league ultimately, in hiring, in the ownership, in all those areas, how long do you really, I mean, just really in practical sense, how long do you give the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all these places to get these things right? When do they, how long do you give? Because we see these other companies, NBC, we see the ringer going through its negotiations and saying they've made a commitment. We see CNN is making a commitment, all these people making commitments 
how long is and is that part of the labor negotiation as well? I mean, what's a reasonable timetable for getting stuff right? That's a hard question. It's an impossible question. Come on. <laughs> you know, yeah, because I mean, we're, look, look, we're, we're hundreds of years into this and we ain't getting it right. So, like, I, don't, I, I just don't know. I think that it's going to be the labor process because we're talking about the MLB and the NBA coming up in a year. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. All right, let's get back to the on-the-court stuff. Saturday, we got three games. We close out um, a couple, maybe potential closeouts for two series, the start of another. Uh, Boston and Toronto, a game one of the Eastern Conference semis. Toronto still, to me, looks like the the only team that I think could have a legitimate chance of knocking off Milwaukee in the East. I think, what are your thoughts with this ball? I like Boston, but I don't think they have enough on the interior. Yeah, I think they lack the size on the inside. I mean, I think they're, I think any of those series are going to be good and fun, but I don't, and might go seven games, but I don't think Boston will be able to beat uh, Milwaukee because of the interior presence. They just don't have a real center that they can rely on, and Milwaukee has all that size. And you got to assume that. Uh, Middleton's going to come out of the slump that he's been in and return at least a little bit to the mean of what he's been putting up all year and for the last few years, honestly, of what he's been doing. Um, and uh, Toronto just has so many long athletes and so much size and so much versatility defensively and just guys that are, are starting to be able to get buckets, you know, like you see in Fred Van Vliet. Um, He's Powell's great, been yeah. Powell's been great. Better than he has in two years. He's yeah. moving really well, and Powell's really looked great. Uh, OG's Powell's been, attacking the best. OG's had. He's great always games. been that player, though. I've loved him. Yeah, I like. I wanted him to trade great. for him last year in our AD trades. Yeah, I remember picking him out. Yeah, I love Powell. But no, I, I just feel like Boston's got that three-headed attack to where we know these games in the playoffs slow down. We know that the referee's whistle plays a big part. I think Kemba. Tatum and Brown are going to emerge as, as just a better threesome. And it's usually, I mean, I hate to say it, but best players always do emerge victorious in series. Okay, so let's do that real quick. Yeah, so then- Ollie, tell me who, who you think the five best players, regardless of team, are in this series. Give me the top five players in this series. Well, you got to go definitely with Siakam, Tatum right off the bat. No, who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? Number four? Number five? Who's the best player in this series? Is it Siakam? No, I think it's Tatum. I think Tatum's been playing better. I've watched both teams play, and I feel like Siakam hasn't asserted himself as much as Tatum has in those wins for Boston versus Toronto's wins. Because I've seen Kyle Lowry take a step forward. And, you know, Kevin just mentioned a couple other guys like Powell. I just feel like they, they're still getting that across-the-board contributions that usually die in those— Ibaka has been fantastic. Been, even Gasol's had some good minutes, right? I mean, I wanna, it's hard to lament anything that um, Toronto's done. Yeah. I want to say that I agree with you that I think Tatum is probably better than Siakam, but I also feel like this is going to be Tatum's toughest test because he's— like Siakam can keep up with him athletically, defensively, has Tatum at the four is not an advantage in this series. Right. Right. That's what I'm getting at. I think the like whereas he's able to use that in other series and really shine, I think he's still gonna be very good in this series. 
but he's not going to be as good because Siakam on him is a different game. If it's that superstar Tatum we saw for a couple months stretch there, right? Before COVID, like about a month before COVID hit, he was playing at a superstar level. I watched like three of those Boston games. Dude, no matter if even Ben Simmons, whoever was guarding him, Tatum was finding a way to score. And I just feel like – and Kemba looks healthy. I think that cannot be um, under, you know, overstated. I think Kemba Walker being healthy and moving well really helps Boston chances. Otherwise, I would have gone with Toronto. Okay, so the backcourt then, you've got Kemba and Smart matching up against Van Vliet and Lowry. And, Lowry. and I like Boston, but then the depth after that is what? Yeah, then you bring yeah, yeah, Anub, yeah. OG and Anubi. They don't have they don't have a lot of guys on the bench who can create the backup creator for them, you know. And whereas you look at yeah, but we know in the playoffs you play thirty eight to forty minutes, right? You stagger. Yeah. Brad Stevens is actually a good tactical okay, so type of guy. Let's look at it from that perspective. The coaching. These are two of the best coaches in the league. Nick Nurse is is arguably the best coach in the league. So this is going to be the adjustments here from game to game, and what style of play? Because if you're Toronto. They push. You know they play turnovers and push the ball. Right. But they also have the length and the strength to to exploit Boston in the half court. Does Boston have – and Boston can be methodical at times, but they're going to have to run too. Dude, they're going to have to. They can. Tease, I, I think Thies – Thies, I don't know how you say his name. But Tice. Tice. See, that's why I screwed it up. I think he actually has looked really well in, the, in Boston's first playoff round to where he, he fills a role perfectly for that team, you know. He's the guy you just want hustling, getting easy baskets, and of course throwing his weight around in the paint, giving up nothing easy. And I think he's done that. He's just not long enough. That's the thing. Is I just yeah, because Siakam, I don't see him slowing down Siakam in the paint. He can't slow down Ibaka either. You can't send him out there to guard Ibaka. Ibaka still sells for jumpers a little too much. He crashes the boards now a little bit more. Yeah. But it's going to be a good series, right? You guys oh, think seven, yeah, yeah. seven games? I think it's going to be the, that. That's the better. No matter what, that's the better of the two Eastern Conference semis. Okay. <laughs> that's that's an easy call, I think. Okay, so then we get. Um, well, let's go. Any predictions for the series going into it? I, I think it's Toronto in six. I say Toronto in six. It, there's generally one blowout in a playoff series. Somebody's a blowout. Somebody. There's always one. That was, but yeah, generally I think the games will be close. Uh, next one. Let's just go ahead and say it's going to be Milwaukee versus Miami, right? We don't. I know that Milwaukee hasn't advanced past Orlando yet. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we'll talk about the Sunday game, but yeah, it's okay. it, you know, um, Game Six, Utah, Denver, Utah up three two. This has been a highly entertaining series, probably the best Western Conference series as far as just pure enjoyment. Yeah, this is this is what I thought I, we were gonna get out of Nuggets and, um, and I mean, sorry, um, Oklahoma City and and in Houston. Yeah, I thought that was gonna be the best series of the first round, but this has definitely been the most exciting series of the first round, most entertaining um, for the Western Conference. How uh, good has Utah looked? They look That's great. blowing all of our ex- expectations away, right? Mike Conley has been the shock for me. Yeah. Definitely. Donovan Mitchell hasn't. Rudy Gobert looking best shape of no, his I life. Mean, but out of the three, Donovan Mitchell at least had some playoff success. But this guy looks like a stone cold killer all of a sudden. Where'd this come from? I mean, but I'm just, I mean, like, I'm just, 
Well, the thing if, is, if Conley wasn't healthy, I guess what I'm saying, Dave, is I can't pick one. I'm picking those three. I say Utah just because of those three suddenly looks like a much better team that is a threat to either the Clippers or the Lakers, whoever they play. Active. Yeah, I mean they're so active. Yeah. That's, they're playing fantastic defense. Everybody had Denver advancing, honestly, like five or six from everything I read. Denver's missing pieces, too. We sure. about that. Denver's missing some pieces. Yeah, and Will Barton, Gary Harris, right? The guards are lacking. Morris hasn't given them anything much off I the bench. Seven. I think this will go You're seven. kidding me. No, I think Utah finishes off. I think it goes to seven. I think it goes to seven. Also, going back to Conley, like before the bubble started, when the season was over, everybody was talking about how they got to get rid of Conley because him and Donovan Mitchell weren't coexisting together at all. They weren't looking. As soon as Conley went out, Donovan Mitchell started playing great and the team was playing better. Well, remember Ingles played so much better when Conley was off away too? And then, they were all better. And then mm-hmm. now, you know, uh, you know, it's all working. Well, now they're and missing Bogdanovich, remember? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Maybe that makes a difference that like <clears> – <throat> Clears rolls up better. I don't know, but Conley is a different Conley than he has. He, he looks good. The regular yeah. season for sure. And Ingles is still doing Ingles shit. Yeah. I mean, that dude is. When he's your third or fourth score, it's perfect because he can break down the so defense. Underrated. His playmaking spectacular for that so size underrated. and team. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, I think people look at. But Mitchell's a walking bucket right now. How great has it been to watch him and Murray? To me, I feel like that's been my highlight oh, yeah, so far of these fast. first round. I think the, the the fact that Donovan Mitchell has figured out how to be way more efficient is the thing that that impresses me the most. He he needed to learn efficiency. He was he would take such bad shots at times, force things, and, it, and he's letting the offense. Some people have said it looks like the game has slowed down for him because he's making all the right decisions. He slowed down too. Right, but I believe what I'm saying because I kind of see that. I do see that. That's why I'm bringing that up. And it's kind of interesting too because even in the like the. The play-in games, he didn't really look that good yet. You know, it's just since mm-hmm. this playoffs. So it's like, I'm worried that maybe it's matchup. the matchup. Oh, you think it's a mirage? I, I'm not saying it's a mirage. I think he's a good player, right? Right. No, no. I just don't know if he's he's a, he's a that, superstar right now. <laughs> I just don't know if this he's caliber. that like superstar top 15 player in the league that he looks like in this series mm-hmm. because, you know, for the first eight games of the play-in, he did not look very good. You know? yeah, what did what did Utah do? Was it like 4-4, four, 3-5? Four, something like that, right? In the eight seeding games? I'm trying to remember. There was something like cool. that. There was a lot of Donovan Mitchell slander on the timeline during yeah. those games. Remember the Pelicans blew a 16-point lead in the opener? They looked like trash up until that point, right? Yeah. Then, they, of course, Utah comes back beat the Pelicans. Jordan Clarkson looked Phenomenal. Yeah. He's still playing very well for them. He's great off the bench. Thank you for mentioning him. I totally forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked him, but, like, you know, he's just the problem of a guy that takes – he's, you know, your J.R. Smith. But, like – No, he's know, better than J.R. Smith to me. I would always he's say – But he's still in that Jamal Crawford role for me. When I watch Jordan out there during this series against Denver, I see a guy that's coming in. I'm going to look to get my – Well, that's – he's the only scorer they have on the bench. Yeah. So he's got to come in that way. Yeah, Niang isn't. Uh, nobody else in there is gonna, gonna has the twenty point potential. My joke with him was always like when he take when he was a kid growing up taking a shot and you hit a, hit the shot he would go Jordan but he would be thinking of himself and not Michael <laughs> Jordan you know like that's just his mentality. Hey, that's a mentality you but, need to have. Don't yeah. you wish some Pelicans yeah, had that mentality? That's what I'm right? saying it's a good I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And on nights when it's when it's working it's great for them. And when nights when it's when his buckets mm-hmm. aren't falling it could. But either way, Utah's playing. Them. I feel like the best ball of the season. 
So you guys think this is going seven. That's why I, I think it's going six, I right? I mean, I just think it goes seven because the way the shots have been. Like, these guys have fatigued each other so much over the course of these games. And, and it just seems that there have been these moments and stretches of quarters where neither one can control the other. You think Denver should be worried? We kind of talked about it on the last podcast, but I want you to kind of go in this in depth more. Because I said I highlight, I like Jamal Murray, but overall, the pieces, do they fit? They're about to have a first-round exit. Building off what last year they got in the second round, they're a young bunch that's supposedly growing. They've become one of the best young teams, supposedly, in the Western Conference that will be a championship contender, people feel, one day. What would you do if suddenly you lose in the first round here, if you're Denver? One day was really supposed to be this year, I think. I thought that they were legitimately going to challenge for a number one seed in the West this year. A lot of people did. I thought so, too. I actually, I mean, I mostly did this based off of the odds, but I put 20 bucks on Jokic being MVP this year because the odds were so good, and I just felt like they were going to have a great year, maybe be second or third in, in the West and just the numbers that he would put up. But um, they sort of... I don't know if you want to say they underachieved during the season because, I mean, they still had a good year. But um, you know, I thought, I thought, up I thought they were, were going to be better, for sure. Yeah. it just It, it should have been better. I feel like that, too. I think they are a crossroads as a team, though. I think that they are. Yeah, when they're healthy. How good are they, though? I think Michael when they're healthy, they're really good, but they're not a championship team. Because, because what they're missing again, and, and we've had this conversation and we were having it offline, is – I don't like using the term alpha all the time. I think that's a stupid because we start getting into that whole conversation about beta males and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's just some, you know. Yeah. But <clears throat> Jokic is not the guy who grabs. Again, we, we talk about the guy who who brings it in in those crunch. Close times. game, playoff game. Who are you going to? I don't think it's who can, Murray. Who either. can carry you? See, I disagree. I think Murray offensively can be that guy. Offensively, but mentally, is he the guy who lifts you up? That's the thing. Watching him, I've been inspired watching him in some of the games. He's twenty. What? He's twenty-two, right? He's twenty-two. Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Because remember, he's old. He's he's Buddy's age now. He and Buddy. No, he wasn't eighteen. He wasn't eighteen. He's Buddy's age when he was drafted. Come on. That was. So I think he's twenty-four. Check. Because it's been five years, right? He's been in the league five years now. I thought he was twenty-two or twenty-three. Twenty-three. 20. He just turned 23. Okay, four so months ago. <laughs> Five months ago. In February. <laughs> Shh, don't tell him. In February. All right, so whatever. He's, he's still young. He's still, relatively, he's still a guy you don't expect to carry a team, let alone take you to the championship, right? What, no, 20, what say, 23-year-old's ever done that? But I would say you know who championship-type players are by that point. We like. You, you expected Durant, at tw- by the time he got to 23, you were already expecting Durant to be on the Hall of Fame track. He was there. Yeah, OKC made that one lead point. And they made the finals. Because his first early. two years, right, what, he, was, he was considered just no, a volume, but inefficient they were in score. Yeah. And then when they get to, you know, then they get to, but they make the finals the first time when he's 23. That's what I want to say. That's what I thought, yeah, right? Yeah, he's 23, Harden is 23, Westbrook was like 23. They're all like the same age at the time. So, I mean, they made it in those first few years, and you, that's when we thought they were going to be the Western team of the decade before Golden State had risen up. So, I mean, Golden State's the only team, I would say, in that group who you didn't identify, but they don't operate that way either. Steph is clearly the, the heartbeat of that team, but the mindset of that team is Draymond. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's what Denver doesn't have. Yeah. 
as a championship team. They may not have, have a that guy on the roster. I think Porter Jr. is going to grow into something. But do you think he's the guy that they follow? Yeah. He's a nut job. I would say, I would say, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of his locker room doesn't like him because of the things that he says, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think probably Will was Martin. It Carl and Malone? he doesn't play defense for Carl shit. Malone was that type of guy, right? He wasn't that well-liked for his political thoughts in the locker room. Well, Carl Malone but is in Utah. Different. Carl Malone was in Utah, and they love him in Utah. I'm talking just about his team, right? You have to get your teammates to perform on the Stockton court to get got the, the people to ball. Stockton got the people to yeah, ball. Yeah, okay. he probably had bad politics, too. And Jerry Sloan. <laughs> uh, I mean, but Jerry Sloan is not going to have people fucking around. I mean, yeah. I see back, back to the Nuggets, I would say that Will. Barton I just don't want to say that Michael Porter Jr.'s beliefs are not a, a say all final I'm just determination. Saying, I'm here. saying he doesn't play defense for shit. You can't He's a rookie. Team. What rookie does? How he bad was Zion? Brandon Ingram this year was. I'm, I'll tell you right now, he was, he was terrible. Brandon Ingram. Does this Porter year. Jr. even try? Kevin, come on. No. And then also, like you said, he's a rookie who hasn't played all year, so nobody's listening to him. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I think Will Barton was the closest thing they had to like. All I'm saying is, don't write him off. I team. think Porter could be a voice on that team. On I a think good he can be team. a very good player. I think he can be. You a think he's just going to be a B? He's going to be a Robin. But I would never. He'll never be. I don't a. see that personality from him. Really? As a leader, it. I don't see okay. that. I don't see that because he would have already seized that. Well, then Jamal he, Murray, I know he's got it. You think he's the? Uh, you think he's the best player? I think he's outspoken. Team? No, I don't know if he would be the best. That's the thing. If Michael Porter Jr. shows a better skill set, how can you, even though you've got a bigger voice as Murray, lead that team? You know what I mean? That, in, in, in history, that has not worked out well. I don't know about I'm, that. I mean, as long as you're a guy. That's, that's why the Houston. The what was it? Well, well, I mean, look, the, there are plenty of teams where I don't, I don't think the most skilled player was the leader of the team. I mean, you just said Draymond. He's not the most skilled player on that. that that's team. true. The you Pistons. Know? Clyde Drexler. He was definitely. Go to the Pistons. He was the most athletic, the best guy on that team, but he was never the voice, right? It was Porter, and then Porter there were some was other guys. Team. Yeah. yeah, that was Porter's team. Yeah. Kersey was a bigger voice yeah, than Drexler. He was. Got even Duckworth, I would say, maybe. No, no. <laughs> Duckworth, eh? He had, a good, he had a nice fight to him. I liked him. You know, I had to spend a lot of my childhood being told that I looked like Kevin Duckworth. Really? Yeah, that sucked. Yeah, that would have been bad because that guy was not in shape. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't that I wasn't, it was fat. I wasn't fat, but everybody was like, you look like Duck. And I was like, <laughs> I got compared to the weirdest people. The weirdest people. Duckworth. Willie Rolfe. Willie Rolfe. Yeah, and then what other NBA player did people think I was for a while? A lot of people thought I was Sinbad's cousin for a long time, and I'm like, I'm not Sinbad's cousin. <laughs> who knows who Sinbad's cousin is? Yeah. They're like, are you related to Sinbad? And I'm like, no. But that, that happened to me all the time. Say all women, say women time. be shopping. <laughs> women be shopping. You can't stop a woman from shopping. <laughs> all right, I don't know what we were talking about. We got side. At the other game tomorrow... Dallas Clippers, game six. Clippers up 3-2. Um, injury's certainly going to play a part in this one. If Porzingis isn't playing. is Do we know? Honestly, I meant to look that up. He's got to play. Otherwise, they're done. I don't think we know if Luka's playing. Right? But Luka's going to play. He's a warrior. Come on, man. I have I mean, loved he what he's shown. really bad. I mean, luckily, he got a couple days off. Which but that's yeah, true. Yeah, this that is, is true. Teams make business decisions too. Yeah. You're not going to put your 20 year old Luka Doncic on the floor. Luka is going to play whether Cuban says yes or no. If he says you're my guy and you're sitting down, he's going to sit down. 
I mean, they let Luca come back in that game. I was shocked to see it happen. I wasn't at when all. I saw that. No, they had a chance to win the series. If you go up three two and you win that series, I wasn't at all shocked that really? he came back. Remember, I said in the group chat because as a skateboarder, I've had that injury so many times. It's this you do it so often and it hurts like hell for like the first thirty minutes. Then it's sore, but you can move around. Like usually, I was skating again in like forty five minutes. Uh, when I had that, so I wasn't surprised. Now, if he did further damage by playing, uh, twisting, then I see maybe he doesn't come back. But if it's just that injury, I think he can play through it because, like, I've lived that injury a million times. Like, it's and I just think about Isaiah it hurts, but it's you know, it's. Oh, I just read this highlight. Postponed schedule not expected to help Chris Stapps Porzingis's availability for the Mavs. That's not good. And and the Mavs have played. Very good basketball. But this is exposing the two things they don't have. They just don't have enough on the They're wing to defend. They're all role players. They're all role players around Luke and Kristaps, right? Well, that's, I mean, but that's what you build a team primarily now. I mean, but I'm saying when one guy goes down, the other one's hobbling is what you're kind of, right. like, yeah. They, they, need, they need another wing and they need another point guard. They need a legitimate point guard. I, I mean, saw Trey Burke, man. He was playing well in the seating games. Remember that? I've liked what Seth Kirk. Yeah, yeah, he's playing. Uh, yeah. The minutes I saw him give, I don't know. He had a, like a turnover late in the game. Yeah, he had some really good games in this series. You didn't think so? I love. I mean, I've liked Seth Curry more in this series. If you want to talk about other guards on, you know, Dallas's roster, but. I mean, and, and then not having Dwight Powell right now also hurts. You know, yeah. like if you don't yeah. have Porzingis, you don't have Powell. Because, I mean, Powell's, you couldn't ask for more from a role-playing big than what Powell gives you, really, you know? Yeah, because I mean, just all hustle, rebound. Montrez, defense. he would have been great against Montrez, yeah. you know, slowing him down. Look, I mean, look, Trey Burke, 66 points in the last four games. 66 points. What's the percentage? How many he points? shot 6 for 11 for 15 points on the tw- um, in game five, 10 for 14 in game four, four for eight in game three, seven for 11 in game two. So he's been shooting the ball really well. I said that because I mean, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have been talking it was about a, how well it was, he it was towards the end of this last game. I saw him he like had 16 points. In he had a drive minutes. where he had a rejected, and then he had a turnover. I don't know. I walk away with what you do, kind of in the crunch. He's a scorer, and that's the thing. Is like that's what their guards are. They have all their backup guards, and he, all their starting guards are scorers. They don't have a distributor. And so that puts so much pressure on Doncic every night. So what do we think? Clippers close it out? Game six? Yeah. 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 Whether Przingis plays or not? Yeah. I'm going to say Dallas wins. I don't know. I'm going to say Luka's got something. I just don't think they're going to shoot well enough. Because now Luka, if his speed is compromised, we know he's not a great three-point shooter. He doesn't rely on it. So he just needs enough juice to make a move or two. Turn the but man, well, if he can't, then I'll agree with you. But I think if he does, if he's able to move enough, I think Dallas is going to put a scare in there. But also, they're, they're also such a limited defensive team on the perimeter already. And then you take Luke, yeah. who's not a good defender. That's but, true. Paul but George is stopping even, Paul George. Now, now what do you hobbled, do? Yeah. You know, like, so he's a shell of, of a bad defender now. So. And, you know, Paul George did have finally started to make some shots. So, you know, we'll see. And Kawhi, Kawhi's pissed. Oh, yeah. Kawhi did not want this series to go on this long. And I, you could see it even with, you know, that whole thing. Yeah, just I didn't that, all the way. I don't give away games, right? Just that whole thing when he steals right. the ball. And like, oh, man. That, that, you talk about from Boban, that, that kind of steal in the air. Yeah, reached up with a mitt. 
And then he passes it off, and, and it's like you get the wasted shot from Reggie Jackson. He's like, I didn't give up the ball for that shit. Yeah, he destroyed Reggie. That See steal, him yelling at him. I think that steal and the Jamal Murray split the defenders, three sixty spin layup, or like the best two plays of the, the two highlights. Uh, yeah, of the playoffs you might be so right. far. There's I, 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 Kawhi's hands; they're ridiculous. Like that's Connie Hawkins, Dr. J, Michael Jordan level hands of just grabbing stuff out of the air. It's crazy. I hope Brandon Ingram's been watching him because you can live in the mid-range and help your team win. That's what Kawhi does, right? He backs you down, gets an uncomfortable range, and shoots over, shoots over you. And well, with Kawhi's arm length is what seven, seven one, seven two. I think it's either like it's it somewhere from huge, yeah. six to nine inches more than his height. And, um, and then that base is so strong. I'm trying to remember because I, I remember writing an article about. Uh, but like B.I.'s B- 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 got. I'm talking about length to do the same thing. Now, of course, with the same exact attributes. No, no. I think he absolutely can live in the mid range. It's just that the two things B.I. needs is he's got to get be able to post up and shoot that fadeaway with regularity. I mean, that's got to come with regularity. With that length, he should be able to shoot that over anybody because that's Kawhi's thing. You know, Kawhi uses that because he knows he can get that position. That's why Jordan used it. That's why Kobe went to it. Is if you can I get feel a like guy more at the start of the year. I swear. I wonder how much his knee. Because before COVID, we had heard he was battling some tendonitis in the knee. At least one of them, right? And we saw his efficiency drop, and everybody saying, "Oh, he can't play with Zion." Oh crap! The guy was not a hundred percent out there. So I hope we get to see that next year. But I think Bi can really model on the way. I mean, he's going to be the closer. The Pelicans threw him the ball during the last five minutes of the game and most of the games that, you know, I feel like yeah. this year. Well, and it was great, right? For developmental purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. God. <laughs> Have you ever, like, seen a team in the league history whose guards are so bad at shooting free throws? I know. Like, for, I mean, for the history of this team, like, going back. Like, start of AD's career. Let's just go that. Yeah. Right? Jim Frazier? Definitely from the start of AD's career. Right. Maybe. I mean, each one's a bad free throw shooter. No. He's about 71, 72. Drew Holiday has just since his Philly days has you know Nightmare at the line. He's been oh, wow heckling John or yeah, yeah, you, can't, you can't be, have seventy percent and fifty eight percent free throw shooting guards, guards man all of them except for JJ which and, and yeah and then he, JJ like, got affected right even he was like shooting worse like, at like home. Frank shoot with like seventy five percent just like a seventy five percent shooter they don't have they don't have a single ice cold free throw shooter other than JJ. And Ingram got much better. He was about 80. For the year, about 83, I want to say. 84. 84. But that was a huge jump for him, so hopefully it stays consistent. But it's a lot. Um, So we're saying Utah is going to close Denver in six or seven. Yeah, and then the Clippers should close out the Mavs. We expect the Clippers to move on. Okay, so that would mean the Clippers in the next round are most likely to take on – well, they would take on the uh, Utah-Denver winner. So they would be Clippers in Utah. Yeah, it's gonna be good because uh, I feel like the Clippers' weakness is the interior too. You know, I mean, Zubach is okay, but and then Trez is so small. The only thing is, like with with Utah, if you can get Rudy in foul trouble, Bradley's terrible. He's like, awful. He's yeah. so bad. You know, so they're really missing out on on a. He missed like a two putbacks the other day on the same possession. I remember. I'm like, so what is happening? That is. That is something that they should try to do. Is try to get Gobert in foul trouble. Um, and then that would definitely increase their odds because, you know, they have the perimeter defenders to guard Conley and uh, Mitchell. So 
but it's going to be an interesting yeah. matchup. Donovan's going to have to play a superstar level just for them to take that to six. Yeah, that'll I think. be the test. Honestly, I know how well they've been playing. Yeah, gonna, I mean, this is the, a huge test for Quinn Snyder and how he's going to get him free. Because that's the thing. He's gonna, they're going to be facing so much length on the perimeter. Yeah, who do you throw on him? You got your choice, man. Well, you, want Pat, Pat you want Pat Bev to, yeah, is he gonna, to bother him? Back for the series? Huh? He's going to be back for the series? I think so. I would imagine he's back for this. And then if you... If you yeah, but, I mean, even if you start with Reggie Jackson on for activity and you send Kawhi or you send Paul George at him... Well, really, I mean, you can, you can start one of those guys on him because... You can put a smaller guy on Ingles. I mean, or Conley. Yeah. Yeah, you could put Jackson on Conley, and then have George on on uh, Mitchell. Kawhi on him, just like that's their. No, you you do George, and I heard a great reasoning for that. I think it was by AD Antonio Daniels or somebody on NBA Radio. Guess who's been the most consistent scorer for the Clippers? Kawhi. So you want him to have that energy for the offense. When Paul George is one of the best defenders, right, in the game, let him expend that energy defensively. That's not a bad argument. Yeah, I agree with that when I heard it immediately. But one of those two is what I would do. Yeah. Just shut him down from the beginning. Or Don't let him get work. going. Yeah. Make him work fast. It's, it's going to be a lot of denial. And I think that's what you use George for is to use his length to keep Mitchell from picking up, from getting the ball and forcing Conley to create. That's what you're gonna you're gonna have to make Conley run an offense, and if you if you do that, I think it becomes a lot harder because his assist numbers have not he's not created a bunch of shots. He's been able to make shots, but he's not. He's flipped a few them. through to Gobert, if I remember. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. This, they they've really empowered uh, Gobert offensively, so this could be a very big series for him because of the weakness of the Clippers on the interior. So that's gonna be an interesting thing to watch as well. Yeah, and the shot blocking, if Gobert can keep the Clippers from driving to the basket, and they love to get those kind of baskets, um, yeah, but yeah, that's going to be a big thing, Also, too. those guys like mid-range shots, so... Yeah, Lou Will, so That's yeah. like, you know, I don't know how much that hurts the Clippers as much as it would hurt other teams, you know, because Kawhi loves the mid-range. Paul George ain't opposed to it, you know, so... I think if you're Utah, you can send more people at the glass... Than, than you would normal against a team like um, yeah. Like you sending like Mitchell, Ingles, Conley, no. O'Neal, maybe O'Neal, but he's your best defender, so you want him in transition, getting back. So I don't know. But I don't think the Clippers are that great in transition. That's the thing is I don't no. think they're a fantastic running team. So I think if you're Utah, you you can you can you don't have to worry about getting back so fast. Yeah, I mean, and they don't have a dynamic point guard like you know Pat Beverly is a defensive specialist. He oh no, he's not, he's not a point guard. He can yeah, make he's a not pass, a point guard. You know, and then like and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's not a good player, really. And and then you know then you got. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Kawhi's a great ball handler for his position, but he's not he sucks. a creep. No, he fills a void. He can make some buckets when he gets hot, right? But when he's bad, he's real But let's get to the game. series that I want to talk about. All right, so we get to Sunday. OKC and Houston. Yeah. So first up on Sunday, you got Orlando and Milwaukee game five. We don't even really need to talk about that. Giannis is going to end it. Yes. Like Kevin said, hopefully Middleton shows up because they're going to need him for that next series yeah. against Miami. Wait, he, he, Miami's been playing well. I don't. I don't foresee. I don't foresee. You know, Miami's gonna probably take two games. I'll say that right now. I think Miami, the way they've been playing, the what I know the Indiana Pacers were shorthanded, right? But Miami had this thing about where I felt like they were getting so many contributions from outside of Jimmy Butler, right? To where Tyler Hero, even off the bench, was dropping in sixteen. 
Dragic was looking like kind of the Dragic of old. They've got a lot of weapons. I really that's like that team. team yeah. But, that's, that's no, but if they're all playing well as well, I'm saying that's what's peak for them, right? So they're coming into this series against Milwaukee playing their best basketball. So I think it's going to present a little bit of challenges for, like, especially if Chris is not on his game. Also, I just can't be all Giannis. They're one of the most diverse teams, so you can do all kinds of different things with them. So yeah, gonna, I, And they have one of the best coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a lot of interesting adjustments. If, like, something's not working, they're going to switch it up to something else. a great else. point, yep. And they're going to keep the You know Adebayo's going to be on Giannis. That's that's going to be fun. Well, the thing I think that is, is that helps Miami a lot is that the things that Milwaukee takes away, the free throws and the layups, they, they are more willing to give up the outside shot mm-hmm. out of the three things that, that you know you deal with. So Miami has a lot of shooters in Duncan Robinson, in you know Tyler Harrow, in Jimmy Butler could knock down shots, oh, Goran Dragic could yeah, knock down shots. They have guys, if you leave them open, who can make you pay. And that's the key against Milwaukee. You better make shots. Oh, no, no, yeah. Iguodala, yeah. But, I mean, you can't – against the Bucks, you can't go on one of those six-minute stretches where you're, they're just taking everything you miss and going down the court and getting buckets. That's where people die against Milwaukee. And we've seen it with the Pelicans so many damn times. It's, it's, it's unstoppable. They destroy the Pelicans. They destroy everybody in transition. <laughs> you don't want to run with the books. And then Brooke Lopez is looking better. He's making some shots, right? Yeah. I, st- I, I still can't buy into Brooke Lopez. I just really can't. <laughs> I'm just saying he's looking better than he did during the regular season right now. I don't know if it lasts, but he's making shots right now. Just the, the, the whole notion that he's this great stretch five is ridiculous when you look at his number. I mean, he takes a lot of them, but you don't make a lot of you know. Not this year. Kelly Olenek yeah. is a stretch five. You know, like that dude shoots 43% from three, you know, yeah, and he but takes a lot of Brooks' them. main thing, of course, though, is the defense, right? Yeah, Protect the rim. I still think that's fraudulent as well a little bit. Really? I, mean, he's, I don't think so. I think Milwaukee's defense, be, but, I don't know. But... I mean, he and Giannis were the best one-two combo, hands down, in the paint yeah, defensively. He was getting a lot of defensive player of the year consideration this year. I don't know. I don't know. All right, uh, Portland and Lakers. This one is done too. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's done. It's done. Damian Lillard's out of the bubble. Next, we don't even need to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun story, definitely during the seeding games, right? What Dame was doing. Of course, Phoenix was a bigger, better story, but still. It was kind of fun to see what Portland did. People were talking, hey, they could take two games. Remember, just, it was even in our chats, right? I just wish Portland <laughs> would have had one of, at least one of their wings. Yeah, they know? need Ariza. You can't, you Ariza, can't do Ariza, even Hood. McCollum, have, yeah. But McCollum, right, supposedly, what, a broken back. I mean, something's yeah. some kind of fracture. So he's not at 100%. And now with Dame gone, it's, yeah, and it's not worth talking about. Hurt during the yeah, series Collins too, is right? done like, again. So, yeah. And, I mean, Melo has tried, but... It's, it's, he's, he, I, I give him credit, though. I want him to come back next year with Portland. They seem like he's got, yeah, he seems like he built up something there with Dame. You saw him off and off camera, kind of off to the side talking. So I really love that Portland team. I mean, I've, I like Portland for a long time. I think I, they still need a real legitimate stretch big, a Kevin Love, somebody, I don't know. I don't know. That I mean, it's like you can't rely on Collins. Honestly, Whiteside's not coming back. Honestly, I think the problem is McCollum. Yeah, you need you need somebody to play defense on a perimeter. Reese is a little old. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. By Kevin Love, you're taking an already bad defensive team and putting one of the worst 
big yeah, defenders. And a guy who's always hurt too. Yeah, also. You poorly, you can't afford to bring in more injury. Guys. Yeah, like you know, Drew oh, Holiday can't afford would be a good fit on, in that backcourt. You know, somebody like I mean, like that. Not that they have anything I really want back in a Drew Holiday trade, but I think he would be a a great piece for Portland. They to, need to a defender. The next step, yeah, yeah, they need somebody. To they can get in front of the ball. Yeah, and a guy that can still take some pressure off of your lead scorer. You know, yep. you don't have to rely on him, but. You because that's the thing is they have to run so much pick and roll. They still have West West Matthews, you know, mm-hmm. like he was a great backcourt fit there, you know. Um, but that was years yeah, ago. They have you know? a little more size in that backcourt. That 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 hurts them against teams that. You know what would be great on that team would be Brogdon, or or Oladipo if they're able to get into Oladipo's sweet stakes. You know, I don't believe in Oladipo anymore. I mean, Oladipo's going to Miami. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe he's going to Miami as well. I, but if they could get in, I feel on like that, his injury that would be a great. He's not, we're not going to see the same player for some reason. I mean, even if you don't eighteen see months the same removed player. and he's worried about, I don't know, playing in games. There's something not right there physically. I mean, is McCollum ever going to be the same though? Either, and it seems like he's reached the plateau. It's not. He's not going to get any better than what he is and at this point his value is only going to start diminishing because his skill set is so specific mm-hmm. he's going to become just a spot up shooter in the next couple of years yeah he becomes like becomes Etuan like a, 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 a good one a really good one but. Yeah, I was going to say he's better than Etuan no I'm just saying that's what he's because he he's going to get he's not a ball handler I've seen him do well when Dame's been out People have always said, look, he averaged like five and a half, six assists, whatever it's been. And he can actually see cross-corner passes in the corner, you know what I mean? So he can see the lanes, but he's, he's not somebody you want to rely on every possession, no. And he's not the kind of scorer that can create shots for, like, no, easy shots for himself. So I think at this point, that's the thing that needs to move on for Portland to get to the next level. If you're not going – because you're, you're really – maybe you have two, three more years of Lillard's prime. And so you've got to exhaust that right now. So to me, you go all in and try to find that two guard or that wing who's going to take you over the top. I just had an idea. Like what would you take on – if you're Portland, would you take on Al Horford if they gave you a uh, tie with him? If you, if you give up Whiteside and no. take up... Well, side's contract... Well, Whiteside's done. He's a free it, agent. Right? But you could trade McCollum. Yeah, McCollum and who else is big over there? I mean, you get other pieces, mm-hmm. but... Or, you know, I don't know I what, think that's what, very what they'd have to do to make it work. But if... I Because th- I think Horford wouldn't necessarily be bad for them. I think Horford would love to play in Portland. And then, you know, you Not get yes. that perimeter, like a super gifted perimeter defender. Perfect. Look how well Horford did with Tatum, right? In Boston. Even a way to do it is you sign you sign and trade Whiteside to whatever a Horford's contract is for one year. I mean, Philly still gets out from under that contract mm-hmm. for you know quickly, you know. And no, Tybalt's perfect. You're and then they right. can also use that that Whiteside contract to then maybe get somebody else down the line. But uh, you know that might be something that would be a pretty interesting. Pull a three teamer where you get somebody who is interested in having a big, you know. Let's say Washington loses out on. Bertans, they can't get him back. They need a center, and they say, "Well, we'll take him on or whatever," because we have to have somebody inside to balance out Beal and Wall. Thomas Bryant, Somebody somebody's got to rebound. But Thomas Bryant's been pretty good for them. I, but True. True. Yeah, and he's more of a stretch. Like he's added some of that outside shot. Showed it in the in the bubble at least. All right, so then we got. Yeah, so let's get to OKC in Houston. Russell Westbrook's gonna be back. 
He's looked great in practice from what we're hearing. Will he disrupt how well they've been playing, though, right? I mean, I know it's 2-2, but Houston's look, I think, really good, right? But they need some more ammo, huh? Houston should be, I mean, but Houston should, talent for talent, Houston should have walked away with this. You think so? I disagree. I picked the Thunder upsetting you. Thunder are a better team. I thought Thunder were going to win this series before it started. I think, I mean, we talked about this. We said the Thunder were behind. I think we said Thunder were probably, you know, we were talking about the most dangerous teams in the West, but nobody wanted to play. We all said the Thunder. But I think the talent-wise, you would say Houston probably has more... I mean, Houston has an MVP, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. In, that are still in their prime. Whereas, you know, yeah. Paul never got, got an MVP. He was close to getting one, but he's he's still a great player. Yeah, but he's, he's not, not that in guy. His prime. He's 34. It's, it's I think throughout like the roster, Oklahoma City is definitely a better team. But then you come to the playoffs, and that's where it starts. With Russell coming back, I think Houston's going to win. But if there's kind of issue, I would stick with the Thunder. My only concern is, I mean, come back at super speed and try to do Russ shit without. Does he cost them a game, or like, does he cost him this next game, and then that hurt them in the series? Whereas if, if the if they had an extra game to play, if it was like an eight game series or a nine game series, where his initial comeback and then him costing him the game wouldn't matter. I'd be more comfortable taking Houston, but I, I think Oklahoma City's going to pull Really? Off. Okay. I've changed my tone because Hards play well. Their shooters on Houston's team has played. Yeah, I mean, they're they're in a zone kind of right now. I don't know. Like with Houston, you just worry about when does the math reverse for them in a game. Right. It's always that because, you know, yeah, you can keep shooting 45 threes a game, but if you make them all in the first half and then in the second half you don't make any, then – yeah, but OKC's been relying on, like, Schroeder scoring a heck of a lot of points efficiently. They don't have anybody to check Schroeder. No. No, that is a problem. And Dort's been doing a decent job on Harden these last couple games. I think playing Gallinari at the five would be really good for them in this series. because That's what some people said ahead of this series. Yeah. Like limited minutes. You don't, Adams you isn't. Don't want him to bang no, his, Adams, I thought, would have more of an okay. impact. I thought he'd have a field day I in thought, the paint. Yeah, I thought he would feast. Remember what he did against the Pelicans in like I one game? I think he's hurting, yeah. I, thought, I really thought he would feast in this series, uh, but he just really hasn't. So I think, I mean, I know it's the trap of playing into the other team's strength, but if, you're, if your supposed advantage hasn't really worked, then maybe you got to do that and just have your best players out there and your best matchups out there. And I think Gallinari could definitely pull it. I mean, he's a really good defender, and he's just going to be guarding guys his size. You know, he doesn't have to go up in weight class. Mm-hmm. And he's a great offensive player, too. I mean, he's one of the most underrated players in the league. Mm-hmm. He's um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's... I love how he gets to the free throw line all the time. His shot, his shot is so efficient. So efficient. I, lo- I-, I love his stroke. Um... Okay, so that means we have a second round in the West of Lakers versus OKC or Houston. Who who's the tougher matchup for LA out of those two? Houston. They're gonna get lucky with the three, but they also have nobody that can check Russell or Harden. Yeah, that's true. It's weird because the the way that team's constructed, you know, it's like goes against all the strengths of the Lakers mm-hmm. have all mm-hmm. the interior presence. Who does AD guard? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Gallinari? <laughs> and he hates PJ Tucker. No, he, well, no, 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 no
PJ Tucker oh, is going to make his life hell. He always has. Yeah. Um, so Covington's but then more you look physical at than AD too. Who guards? Is Covington guard LeBron? And yes. Is this a series where you play LeBron at the four and get smaller if you're the Lakers? It seems yeah. like they're you know that AD's conceding a little bit to. But who are you putting out there then? Caruso, KCP, and Danny Green. Yeah, and Rondo's back. Yeah, I mean, what choice do you have against Houston if they're going to have Gordon, Westbrook, and Harden on the floor? You can't have LeBron running around chasing those guys on switches. Can't do it. Yeah, Yeah. I think my initial thoughts... You want LeBron picking up Gordon 10 feet beyond the three-point line? Yeah. I think my initial thoughts were the Thunder would be the tougher matchup, but I think it's going to be Houston. I think you're right because of who guards who. And then P.J. Tucker has had such a tra- good track record of being able to slow Anthony Davis mm-hmm. down and sometimes completely shut him down, you know. So. And LeBron cannot carry that team. No way. Not- I don't think they, they can't shoot the way they did against Portland. Like you, you're not going to shoot that way against Houston. But they were terrible in the first game, right, the Lakers. They didn't make anything everybody talked about. But after that, yeah, you're right. They've been on. But, I mean, those shots, too, even with Portland, I mean, it's like they're not – it's not the Lakers are playing great basketball. It's just that Portland just doesn't have it. They don't have enough. We thought that they might. I thought that they might, but they don't. So, we would say the Lakers – would you think the Lakers beat Houston in six, seven? I don't think they sweep them. If, if, if they're playing Houston out there right now, I'm picking the Rockets. If the Rockets make pass the Thunder and they get to face the Lakers, I'm going to say the Rockets upset them. And look, the other thing, too, is that the Lakers have had such a huge benefit from the whistle in, in the first round. And we know what Houston's like in the game. Like that's, Nobody loves the whistle. Like they, Russell. I mean, the, I feel like the games are going to be close to being unwatchable with the amount of <laughs> yes. whistles that are going right. to be had. But like that evens the playing field. Mm-hmm. And in that sense... You know, that makes me also think maybe the Rockets actually do have a chance. Man, we could be talking about 40 free throw attempts a game. Really? Because what, AD is getting like eight, nine free throw attempts a game. LeBron is going to get eight. It's going to be four-hour games, you know? Like, it's going to be like football, watching a football game. It's the least watchable of the four second-round series. And honestly, it's the two teams I hate the most. So like yeah, I, I have no interest other than professional in this series. Yeah. yeah, Danny Green shooting 40% from three in the series against the uh, Trailblazers. KCP 39. Kuzma's at 37 almost. LeBron's KCP at 43. 37 is not that great for Kuzma. I mean, like, really legit. Like, Kuzma's worse usually. But I'm just saying, that's, that's just a warm week like in the playoffs. I think, yeah, they're going to come down off of this cloud. KCP is definitely coming off that cloud. That dude. When you see guys in the playoffs shooting. 50% from three. Those are the guys who tend to carry it through the postseason. Like, they're just on. 37% is So I listed all these guys' three-point shooting, right? Listen to their field goal percentage. Kuzma, 39%. Field goal percentage. KCP, 36.8. Danny Green, 38.2. Man, if, if they don't get anybody scoring some points alongside LeBron AD, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Houston's going to score 110 or more. And, and that was against I know the it's worst a playoff. defense in the bubble. You know, like that – Besides the Pelicans, you know, like Portland was the worst defense yeah. that was in the playoffs for sure. So yeah, and Houston doesn't play great defense, but yeah, they'll get physical. Houston, Houston, yeah, Houston was like, 
Houston definitely plays pretty good defense. I, you know, like would you say pretty good? Not, yeah, I would say they're, yeah. they're a pretty good defensive team. Yeah, they're uh, better than Denver's been. You're right. They're they're better than a lot of teams I've seen here in the bubble. Okay, so we'll wrap with the home team. Um, we talked a little bit about this offline too. Where does the Pelicans' job, head coaching job, rank amongst the available jobs? Uh, as if among as its desirability, well, so we got Philly, we got Brooklyn, we got New Orleans, Chicago. Indiana, Chicago. Chicago. That's it right now because the Knicks have made theirs, and, and they're thinking Houston's going to open up, right? Dan Tony's. Yeah, a lot of people think that'll happen. But see, if they beat the Lakers, then what do you do? Yeah, I mean, he might retire too. I mean, he's sixty. Yeah, he he's sixty-nine. Know. You know, like he's old. Like people don't realize how old Mike De- D'Antoni Popovich is. Popovich is what seventy-two. Pops, you can tell. He's Pops in his seventies. Yeah. Pops I'm saying, I think D'Antoni can still go somewhere else one more time. But what? The, I don't understand why that would be. Why would you want Mike D'Antoni at this point? Hey, there was rumors, right? Indiana may be interested in him. I know. I keep hearing that, but I, but like, what a difference in style <laughs> to go from McMillan to D'Antoni. It's like Monty to I Alvin. I understand the fascination with D'Antoni. I mean, I think he's a good coach. I don't either. I, I get it, but like, if you're, especially in the Pelican situation, it, it would make no sense to me. You're doing the same thing, no. make better. Don't even think of D'Antoni. But the same thing, but it's like you're trying to build the long-term culture and and you know have a coach for years, and you're gonna bring a guy who's gonna be seventy. Yeah. You know, like in, during the season, like. If you're hiring a D'Antoni, you're trying to get to a championship. Yeah. And you want accountability and habits, right? D'Antoni really cares about one side I mean, of the floor. Really, the only so, job that I see that makes sense Gr- for Griffin's not going to consider D'Antoni. Sorry. D'Antoni, again, you'd say D'Antoni's a guy, same profile basically, is that he needs a veteran team because it's a freedom oh, yeah. system. You can't have a bunch of kids running D'Antoni's system. Yeah, the Nets is the only job that makes sense for him to me if, if, you know, if he leaves Houston. Because- so out of those five, where does the Pelicans rank? I think the Pelicans did a better job than the Bulls. Definitely. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, I'd say the Pelicans are second. The Nets, yeah, number I'm with, one. I'm with Kevin. Pelicans, number two. Philly would have been higher, but just the contracts that they have and the bad the ownership fit. is horrible. Ownership's bad. The, you, know, you don't know what Elton Brand's going to do next he, either. He's on, yeah, he's on such thin ice. You know, he's going to be. And making, I don't like the chemistry of Simmons and Embiid. Yeah, and you got to deal with that, right? And just the pressure. they're not winning a championship, and you got to solve all their problems. Right. No, uh, until Embiid gets in physical shape, they're never going to win a championship, and he hasn't shown a desire to. Do Simmons that. needs to shoot the ball. He's got to open up his game, right? Like he's right now, he's turning into a giant Lonzo. He's a basket case. Sixteen Lonzo. The worst. Lonzo shoots threes. Yeah, at least Lonzo does shoot threes. Yeah. He got happy a few games, right? Shot 12, 11, a <laughs> couple times. Seven yeah, eight. seven or eight. Yeah. My joke earlier about Darius Miller being the first guy to leave balls on the rack in a three-point contest or pump faking, like, you know, that's Ben Simmons too, right? Like, you know, you can't have that. You can't be shot no. shy. So I honestly put Philly even below Indiana, personally. I would rather have Indiana's Indiana's, Indiana's Bro- Brogdon and Sabonis. Give me two guys you wouldn't want to coach more, right? And, I mean, you still have Justin Holiday. You got Aaron Holiday, who is solid players. If you get healthy, that team needs to be healthy. I agree. They're probably going to lose Oladipo, like we've been saying, but there's still a lot there. They've played without Oladipo basically for two years. Yeah, I, I agree from a basketball perspective that Indiana is probably better just because the expectation isn't nearly as high and you have I think a lot it'd just to be work more with. fun, right? It'd be more fun, but, you know, in terms of would you rather live in Philly or would you rather live in Indiana? Both owners. You travel a lot. I think you'd rather Indy, actually. I, I live in Indianapolis 
Because Indy's not that far from big cities. You, you're good. We're, we're still living in a pandemic world, too. And I think you got a better organization in Indy. Oh, you have a stable culture at the, at the at the beginning. We talk about that. At least the ownership, the front office all seem to be... They, they've done a good job in scouting people. They've done a good job in acquiring people. Now, the question for me, though, Dave, real quick, we, we got off topic here. Who is better than maybe the Pelicans' job? We both all agree, right? Brooklyn yeah. is number one. Maybe. Would you say Houston is number two? Who's next? Is it the Pelicans or is it like Houston? Houston you don't like Houston. Houston what if you're a coach that wants to win now? I still don't like it. I still don't like it. I would say that there's definitely a strong argument for Houston being okay. higher. Because I would rather have, already have two MVPs on the team. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, you know, looking at the assets... And you know, two you know Zion and Brandon Ingram for sure. You're building blocks. You have a clear team, to, and you can shape that team more in your own image because all the other parts are movable. Um, you know, if they really let the coach come in and say, "This is what my culture is going to be. These are the kind of players I want," and help him, and they're on the same page together, and they build the team out in that way, um, which you would hope is the case. Uh, I think that New Orleans is higher than Houston, but I can definitely see the argument because of the success that Houston has. But, you know, their owner's cheap. You know, mm-hmm. our owner is spending money, you know. And I would say with Houston, too, if you're a coach, unless you play that style and you come in and you try to rein in James Harden or rein in Russell Westbrook and say, we're going to do this you're instead, yeah. are they guys who are willing to change their games at this stage and with the money that they're making, you are not going to be able to put a lot of stuff around them to make that team better. And I don't know how many of those guys you can ship out and get real quality in return. You don't have draft picks. You, like I said, you have a cheap owner. I don't, again, if Houston doesn't win it this year, I think they, they've, their window, they've been in this spot now of semifinals, finals, for four years. Yeah, but it's the first year for Russell and Harden. Yeah. And it looks like it might be, I mean, they have been playing better, right? Russell started the year off playing terrible. First of all, two and a half, three months, everybody's saying they made a mistake. Again, that was the regular season and not the playoffs, and we talk about that all the time, about what can be suitable for the regular season and winning and what's suitable yeah, for the Yeah, if they don't get past OKC, then Houston, you're going to move from D'Antoni. You're probably going to have to blow that team up somehow. Me too. Because you can't have a, a team full of guys who are six seven. And if you don't have a team that's built for D'Antoni, there's nobody that's going to come in. You're not going to hire Alvin, right? Well, yeah, that's the other thing is, like, with them, who's, who are they going to get to coach? Like, you have to get uh, – but you also have to – you can't bring in a – like, you can't bring in a David Vanderpool. You can't oh, bring God, in no. – you, you know, like, like a, you have to – it has to be, like, Ty mm-hmm. Lue, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or you have to, like, Maybe try Maybe Sam to, Cassell. I don't know. Or try to trade for a, a, a – a, you know, like, trade for Popovich. You think Popovich would take on Harden and Westbrook? I don't think that they would want any of that, but I'm just saying, like, what coach works for them? Yeah, I I just don't think that's an attraction because of them. It's like, how are you going to go in and tell James Harden, I need you to do different things now? You can't dribble the ball. If somebody comes, I'm not, you can't dribble the ball for 20 seconds. I need you to play more off ball. If you tell him that, do you think he buys that? All right, let's, let's wrap up on this. All right, um... Kevin, what would you say are the characteristics that you're looking for in the next Pelicans coach? And if you had to take your top three names today, who would they be? Okay, so for me, communication 
on court is one of the main things I want the new coach to focus on. Uh, you know, we've we've it's been so quiet on the defensive end on the court. Nobody talks to anybody since Chris Paul left, and that's one of the biggest problems. It's one of the reasons we've never had a really good, consistent defensive team. Um, so that's key to me. Um, I like guy, you know, a guy that's a good teacher, but also an X and O's guy. I want a guy that sort of teeters the line between being players coach, but a guy that has shown that he's an authority figure as well that people will respect. Um, so when I look at that, um, you know, David Vanderpool has been really high on my list um, from from last year when I was. Well, me and Chris wrote that article, and I, I wrote the part about David Vanderpool um, when we were speculating about new coaches, which we thought there should have been a change then. Um, so he's high for me because, you know, he's a guy that all of his ex-players go out of their way to talk about how much he helped them improve their game. And he took a team like the Portland Trail Blazers, who were full of below-average defenders, and turned them into a solid defense like one year they were eighth in the league in defense and you look at the roster and you're like how did they do this you know and he had a clear he has a clear-cut system of how he wants the defense defense to operate so it's easy to build around you know what kind of pieces he needs um for his philosophy to work guys seem to listen to him they say you know griff said buy-in was key i mean there's no clearer signs than going through guys that played under Vanderpool and listening to them talk about the impact he had not only on their game but on them as people um so I find I think that's very important so he's a guy that's really high on my list I don't necessarily think they're going to give him a lot of consideration he's just a guy that I really think would be great in this situation especially when you're trying to build from the ground up um Jerry Stackhouse is another guy with very similar um sort of sort of vibe is Vanderpool. He's very direct, very straight. Um, he's a player. He's a, he's a recent ex-player, and players will respect that. He'll, he should have a strong voice in the locker room. Um, so I, th- I think he's another guy I like. Um, there's a, I mean, right now there's like 12 people that I like. So uh, the looks changes a lot, but those two guys are always really high. I really like David Fisdale. I know a lot of people don't like him. I think he gets a bad rap for a lot of things. Ex-players, you can find a bunch of quotes about how much they like him. Um, I think he was in a bad situation towards the end of the Memphis um, time. This first year in Memphis, he dealt with a lot of issues and still cobbled together a really good team. And bad that, ownership, too. And, and definitely bad ownership. And then the Knicks, you just throw that shit away. Um, but you go back to, to his Miami days. Players loved him. He was involved in very key decisions in rotations and and communicating changes in those rotations to players that in a way that they accepted it and respected him um so i think he's another guy that i really like a lot i know i i know a lot of pelicans twitter doesn't like him but i think they just haven't spent the time digging into the the background story yeah you just look at record you look at the new york tenure and and that's you know I can see why just from a surface level look, you think he's not a good guy for this job. But if you really dig deeper, um, you see guys love him and buy into him. And he's another guy with strong philosophies and definitely into communication. And I also like guys who have filled a lot of roles um, throughout their career and been associated with a lot of different coaches and things like that. So they can draw from all that. Like Melvin Hunt's another guy like that. He's played 
done a lot of roles in this league and he's been on a lot of really good teams been with a with a lot of really good players in a lot of different situations and a lot of different systems so those kind of people can draw from all different aspects like whereas we're coming off of a tenure where we had a very much a system coach where he could only do one thing and you know he wasn't willing to change no matter what his lineup looked like um and I think it's important to have that versatility and that ability to change and that willingness to sort of like take a step back and and look at what's best for the team and not just what you think is best. And I think those three guys would do such, you know, that that kind of that kind of job here. And I think you couldn't go wrong with any of them. But like I said, there's like 12 guys I'd be excited about. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, uh, we have this conversation offline too all the time is that. I get that fans have people that they want. But to me, the main conversation always comes back to is that there is no one way to pick a coach. I mean, it's just, it's timing, it's talent, it's support. It's all those things having to come together at the exact same time. And so as the Pelicans try to find that coach, we're going to be upset. We're going to be happy. We're going to be excited. We're going to be whatever, no matter who they pick. It's just going to be, I think the main things, like you said, you talk about who's going to hold this team accountable, who's going to push them beyond what they are, and who's going to demand um, somebody step forward. You've got to build that relationship with, with one of these three key guys or whomever you decide going forward for the next coach, whoever that core is. And I think we generally believe it's three and a half men, you know, uh, we, Ingram, Zion, Josh Hart, and Lonzo is a on the fencer, but out of that, everybody else to me is expendable. So they're expendable, but we can't expect them to make some kind of no, no, yeah, that's not you know what I mean. Sick. No, no, I know, but people out there are so trade happy nowadays, right? And they want to put everybody up for grabs or on the block. That's not how it works. But it, what's going to happen is whomever your next coach is, he's going to have to decide. He or she is going to have to decide. This is the this is what we're building from. Everything else is to function for this core. We're building around that core. So they have to fit. So yeah, every one of those guys, and then they are all expendable too because of their contract situations. The Pelicans do have a bunch of favorable contract situations in their, in their back pocket. So I think it's, that's going back to the, what makes the job so attractive, that's there too, is that you do have the ability as a new coach coming in to quickly reshape the roster in your own image if you so choose. If you're a coach, you love to mold, right? I mean, that's what I've often picked up from these guys, especially the successful ones. You like the ability to have control of, you know, dictating not only the kind of strategy you're about uh, employed, but just molding these guys as players, right? On, on how you can help and improve their games. And I feel like that's that is by far the biggest key for this roster. I mean, everybody knows no secret. You got to get a guy in here that's got player development at near, if it's not at the top, one of his best things. You know, his best attributes, right? Structure, structure, like like. Yeah, I just I just want somebody who's going to set a tone that every day when you walk into that building on Airline Highway. This is what you are. This oh, is yeah. what our goal is. And we come in to work. Say player development. It's about not just putting the ball in the hoop. It's about carrying yourself as a professional, all the right. stuff. Right. Improving right. their right. basketball IQ, improving their toughness as a group. Like just teaching all of those right things. How to watch film. Teaching That's them how to fight for each other. Like, like 
this is a kind of random thing, but one of the worst things to me about sports is that we pretend that this is a team game when we incentivize individual accomplishment. You, you, make, you, play, you pay guys based on how many points, how many rebounds they get, all those things. But you have, for a championship team, you got to have guys who are just going to say, tonight is my night, tonight, tomorrow night might be his night, these are the main guys, whatever. The Pelicans don't do that. They don't. They just have not gotten to that stage. And somebody's going to have to put that structure in place of this is how we approach every game. And those are the things that when we read these stories, when you look at whomever the coaching candidates that we like, those are the things that I think any one of us gravitates to first is what's the tone that they've set? How have they impacted these other players? Not only do they like them, but do they respect them? Is that the first thing that's conveyed? Because they don't need a friend. They don't, none of these guys need a friend. What they need is a, is a coach. Is a, is, is friends a work for the veteran group, right? We've seen that, right? That's yeah. why they say Alvin Gentry's better suited for a veteran group. He doesn't have to teach them, discipline them, right? And their ways. No, this is a job, and, and I, I don't think this is a job for somebody to learn at either. I don't think you bring in somebody who's never you been. You wouldn't bring in a first, you know. No, 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 no. Not, in, not a first type, but I'm saying it's not a job for a college guy to make the transition to. I don't think that's like I, I wouldn't hire Jay Wright because this is not the time to be learning the NBA game. What about the about, fact? What I about, about to ask you that? Because yeah. I don't really know much about you know I don't watch college basketball, but he's a name that is talked about a lot and glowingly, and all the Villanova. The Knicks interviewed him. He's that, been in Philly rumors before. Yeah. yeah, all the all the Phoenix wanted him. All the Villanova guys that come into the league seem very prepared for the league and are very good players. You know, they usually aren't a star player. But they're a guy that like strongly contributes to a team. You know, let me look at Josh Hart, right? So that's the kind of guys he builds. So I don't know anything about Jay Wright. So when you were talking about that, I was wondering if he was going to be an exception. No, I just don't think so because the college game. Hey, I don't. He, he his best things are things like practice, and the NBA practice is just not something that you are. But here's two things that I don't know if you even know, but one thing is he, he worked with uh, Pop and the Team USA this past summer. And he says he learned a lot of things that really opened his eyes. So that at least, you know, I think gives him a clue, right? Helps him. Jim Behan was on Team USA for three different stints. <laughs> yeah, he was. So did it make Jim Behan a better coach? Jim Boylan was on Team Canada too, right? Yeah, so I mean, like, I don't... I... But here's the other thing, though. He teaches a more NBA-friendly game. In Villanova, yeah, the offense. What was it? Four out, one in. Yeah. Who are you playing, man? I, I just don't think that. I just don't think it would be like, say, Calipari or Patino. You know what I mean? I just, don't, I, I just don't. I think, think his transition command. could be easier. That's all. I don't think he can't come in and it commands the room in, in, with these guys. From what I hear, he actually does. I don't know. The NBA in college, that's one thing. 18, 19, 20 year olds, guys who are not blue chips. How many freshmen does he have leave? If his skill is having guys three, four years, that's that's just it's not the same. It's not the same culture. You know, are you? That's why guys like a, a that people want a Calipari or like you said a Patino or something because they dealt with the elite guys who who make the jump all the time and they know how to deal with that kind of personality. The grinder guy is the easiest guy to deal with in the NBA. Having a Josh Hart on your team is the most low-maintenance guy possible. I don't need a guy to reach Joe, uh, me and Josh Hart. I need a guy who can reach my temperamental stars who think that they are this and they really need to work on this. 
If I tell Josh Hart tomorrow, I need you to run the stairs 7,000 times, he'll go do it. I don't think he'll listen to David Grubb. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. If I'm the head coach and I ask Josh Hart and I say this is going to improve your game, he's going to do it. That's the kind of guy he I is. Mean, yeah, I so, I mean, I, I think you need to have somebody who's in tune already, who can't spend 20 to 30 games because you can't come out of the gate next season and be 5 and 25. You can't be 10 and 20. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't next season. I know. I've, I've just read and just heard, I mean, just saying that he just feels like an exception to me because of all these stories I've heard about his motivational abilities, his relatability. People, I think that's, you think I that's think overdone? Overrated in the NBA. I don't know. The I mean, rah-rah speech shit don't go. There's maybe two. I don't think years. he's a rah-rah speech guy. It's, I think it's honestly more of. I don't want to say he's a friend to his players, but he somehow knows how to connect to players. It's just, it's just you know, the word out of Villanova. Eric Tartanian connected with players. A lot of college coaches. I mean, you don't last. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's like I, I just don't think you can make that risk to have him have to adjust. Right. right. Yeah. Because we've talked about how important this is for Griffin to get this one right. Can you imagine if he misses on this one and he's suddenly needing a third head coach in Zion's third year? That would be bad. That would be really bad. Whoever it is, if it's a new coach and they can't, they can't get off to a good start, and you're a college guy. You're gonna get hit doubly. I mean, there's, there's well, if you leave in college, I guarantee Jay Wright's gonna expect like a contract where he feels safe, right? He's not gonna leave he Villanova. Five years. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's gonna want at least four. Yeah, he's gonna want, need at least four. He's gonna ask for five. And in a year where they, I mean, I think we all agree there's at least at least ten really good candidates that we would all be happy with. Like, you know, in yes. a year like, why would you take a gamble on a college coach when the, that track record recently has been so bad? I mean, outside of. Um, Oh God, why am I blanking on his name? In, in Boston, there's really Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. There's really been no other. You know, when's the last guy that came out of college and really had? Yeah, yeah. Brad Stevens has been mediocre. It's not He's like better than mediocre. He doesn't get. I'm not. I'm just saying. Overall, the 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 results. They never got past the first round with Russ as the only guy in OKC. And they may not get past the first round this year. Also, he was given a team that had Kevin Durant, and you know what I mean. Like so, he didn't, he didn't start with a shitty squad. Right. He, he was, started with a finals contender. Right. You can you can you're not gonna give him any credit draft. for what happened no, this year. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm saying he. I think he did a very good job this year. But he was able to get to that point because he also had talent that could carry him through the learning curve. And Brad Stevens gets a, got a different commitment in Boston, too, because no one expected Boston to be ahead of the curve as they were. Remember, he jumped the curve for them. They thought they were going to stink for two years and then be better. And by year, the end of year one, they were already getting much better. So, I mean, you know, Stevens had it. You don't have that kind of leeway here. So, yeah, whatever coach, I hope they give that person the leeway to reshape the best that they can. Well, yeah, I just hope they share their vision. Yeah, you, you gotta give them at least two to three years, all right? Well, you have to. Yeah, yeah. You have to. Unless it's just a bomb. Unless they That's what I'm saying. So what would a bomb be? A record? 20? 25? Yeah. You do that. But I'm saying, do you just look at record, or is record gonna be a... This year, yeah, you have to. Because you know the baseline for this team is somewhere around 35 wins. That's true. So if you don't meet that baseline,
They move off of Drew though in a couple JJ and Drew. Really? Even without Drew, you should be able to win 35. But yeah, if you move off of Drew, you're getting pieces, some pieces back. So it's, it's, you know, even if you're getting 80% on whatever the return is on Drew, it's still something. And then you're going to have, you expect to have Zion for most of the year, you know, if not the whole year in Ingram. So yeah, I think it's that. It's 70 plus games out of Ingram, 70 plus games, let's say 65 to 70 games of Zion, and you get, you know, sixty games of Lonzo or whatever, and all of those guys are and sixty plus games of Hart. That's they should at the very least win thirty five games. I'm with you. I also think more than the record is just watching the gauging the temperature of the locker room. But gauging the temper temperature of the locker room, you know, how does he control the locker room? Alvin didn't the lose them all year, guys. Back to he didn't lose during a thirteen game losing. Orlando, he lost them. There was no effort. It's easy right? to buy in when there's no structure. Like I can, like yeah, like. You know, like if you want to have buy-in and you're putting in a structure and they're not buying in, then, you know, because that's the the phrase that Griffin wants to use is buy-in. That means you have a plan. When the plan is Mm -hmm. chaos, then it's easy to buy into that, you know? Yeah, it really was. So um, I think that's that's a big distinction between that and hopefully what you would get out of the next coach. Last thing I'll ask you guys, draft. I am a proponent of, like, getting out of this draft. I don't think they need more kids. I don't think they need four more rookies on this roster. Find a talent, or, or I should say a pool every year, adding something at least once a year, right? So say if they were to draft somebody that's got some experience that can take minutes right away. I mean, if I it's a big, it has to be a big or a wing. Those are the only two spots where you're looking for anything in this draft. Is it a big or a wing? And if that's not available... But what if there's some guy that you really like that you would love to see between Ingram and Zion? At the what? At the four? Three or four. Just just, a, just another long body because that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at just six, six and bigger. Or big. It's got to be somebody that's six, Well, I'm looking at wings. I'm looking exclusively at wings. Oh, I think you need to rebound. They need Nace, to rebound. Oh, they do, but I don't think you're going to get in the draft. You can hit up. It might be a big body. But who knows? But, I mean, you don't need four. If you're going to use your second rounders, I'm using them on stash picks oh, and sending them overseas yeah, again. Combine. combine some of them, trade or sell, sell one, two. Yep. Well, what I was thinking is you take the your your first round pick, combine it with Darius, whatever other salary you need to add either a legitimate starting center or another tweener forward, and then I could get on board with you that. Trade, you trade all the second-round picks into the next year, too, if you need to, to grab, you know, a late first-rounder in this draft. Yeah, and but who's buying, man? Everybody knows this but, is not a draft you want to. I just want length. Length and sh- you can never have enough shooting. So that's why I like uh, Naismith, Vassal, and uh, Sadiq Bey, who isn't a shooter yet, really, but... I like where that kid's head. I mean, you look at what Jay Wright's done, Villanova, right? Josh Hart, Bridges. I just want tough. I want somebody to come. Bay's tough. Fucking fight. I hear Vassal's tough. Naismith's the one, but he played for uh, Stackhouse, right? In Vanderbilt. So, I don't know. You got to like somebody to play for Stackhouse, maybe. Especially if Stack gives a thumbs up. Stack is an interesting thought, though, too. Because Stack's relationship to Ingram is very interesting. I think it's underrated. I think it's a lot. If you can bring in a guy that's already connected with a cornerstone, mm-hmm. you got to consider that higher, right? I hope the Pelicans. Defensive end. You definitely work on improving him on the defensive end. 
He's hounded him before. If you listen, there's there's podcasts out there, guys, with Stackhouse. He's been on Woj before. Zach Lowe, I know. I listened to one with Woj. I was telling Kevin earlier, and it's great. Listen to it. It's from April. But Stack, one thing you'll pick up on real quick, this guy doesn't hold back. He he, he tells you the truth flat out. He, he went into his like coaching uh, experience up there in Toronto, how when Nick Nurse got hired, he was kind of hurt by that, so he left there. And he he's, he's flat out says he doesn't want to be assistant anymore. That's why he took the job with Vanderbilt. He wants to be a head coach. But he, he's got the goods. If you just listen to him, I think you'll like him. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love Stack. I think that's going to be a sh- Guys, I appreciate this. Uh, yeah, we had a blast, I think. We went on for more than an hour and a half this time. Um, so thank you, uh, Ollie, Kevin. First, Ollie, tell them what you're working on. Like we just said, we're going to talk some more coaching articles coming up. What you got? What you yeah, got? we're going to publish a piece by Preston. I haven't even looked at what it is. Sorry, Preston. But uh, it's something about Lonzo Ball. But I've got a piece on Kenny Atkinson coming up uh, in the next two days. And we're going to Yeah, and what is it? Um, Jamal is working on David Vanterpool. He's another good one that I know Kevin loves. Yeah. I like him too. A lot of us like him. I'm going to say I ghost wrote it because I sent him a bunch of. <laughs> I sent him a bunch of uh, yeah, we still got definitely a lot more coaching right <laughs> pieces to do, but we also want to start talking about trades, right? We're going to start looking at Drew Holiday, whether his legitimacy can still be basically maintained and keeping him on his roster, or is it or the Pel- and we're going to have to start examining the draft too, because yeah. if they do have to stick with these players, then what value are they going to have to get? So that's all going to be next few weeks. Um, you can follow these guys at Ali Cosell and at Kevin B for Bounce. Um, check out our work at thebirdrights.com. And, of course, the podcast, The Bird Calls. Subscribe, rate that as well. Guys, I really appreciate you giving me your time on a Friday. Um, it's Just to be in the same room, it's been so long. It's been months since we've been in the same room together. And um, I, I'm thankful to, to, to get this chance to do it. We're going to try and make this a regular thing. Let's try that. Maybe at least once a month or something, right? It's good yeah. just to hang out. Absolutely. Until, especially while we don't have... You know, we don't have our normal communion at the at the arena. Yes. For Kevin Barrios, for Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. This has been another episode of Hard to Paint. Y'all enjoy your weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you on Monday. Peace.